So we're going to be in Judges 14. So if you have a Bible, it'd be helpful to open up there. While you guys are turning there, I'm going to make sure that I'm looking at my watch so that I don't do what I did last week and go for like 30-ish minutes. So if I do, you can just stop me at some point. But <laughs> um, um, So I'm going to start reading in Judges 14. Uh, and I'm just going to read the whole chapter, and then we'll, uh, we'll break it down from there. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah, and behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. And after some days he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion, and honey. He scraped it into his hands and went on eating as he went. And he came to his father and mother and gave some to them, and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. His father went down to the woman, and Samson prepared a feast there, for so the young men used to do. As soon as the people saw him, they brought thirty companions to be with him. And Samson said to them, Let me now put a riddle to you. If you can tell me what it is within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you thirty linen garments and thirty changes of clothes. But if you cannot tell me what it is, then you shall give me thirty linen garments and thirty changes of clothes. And they said to him, Put your riddle that we may hear it. And he said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat, out of the strong came something sweet. And in three days they could not solve the riddle. On the fourth day, when they said, they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us here to impoverish us? And Samson's wife went over to him and said, You only hate me, but you do not love me. You have put a riddle to my people, and you have not told me what it is. And he said to her, Behold, I have not told you my fa- I have not told my father, nor my mother, and then shall I tell you? She wept before him the seven days that their feast lasted, and on the seventh day he told her, because she pressed him hard. Then she told the riddle to her people, and the men of the city said to him, On the seventh day, before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would have not found out my riddle. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon, and struck down thirty men of the town, and took their spoil, and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger he went back to his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. So that is Judges 14, and uh, if you've been tracking with us thus far in the book of Judges, or maybe this is uh, the first time in the story, um, 
there's a lot of common themes and motifs that repeat. So I just want to point out some of the ones we've seen repeated, uh, either for, for recap or just for reminder. Uh, the first thing we talked about really last week with Samson is he is kind of, he's the last of the big judges that is in the book of Judges. Not only is he the, the biggest one in terms of uh, content or, or space in the book, but he's also the biggest one in terms of, he gets the, he gets the craziest stories told about him. He also gets uh, some of the most interesting plot lines uh, in the book. And a, a dominant part of the book focuses on him. And so we asked the question last week, why is there so much about Samson? when it doesn't seem that if you read his story, he's a very strong moral character or he's really an example to follow or anything like that. Why do we focus on him? Why does the author of Judges keep him in the text for us? And so there's a lot of things you can do with that, right? Typically what we do as Westerners is we look at the moral uh, things that Samson does and we say these are some good things that he does that we can emulate and follow. And these are some bad things that he does that we probably shouldn't emulate and follow. And we treat Samson and many of these judges almost like moral guides or examples or non-examples of what to do. But the author of Judges is setting up, I think, a bigger kind of example, a bigger kind of contrast in this book. And last week we explored some of that by just paying attention to his origin story or his birth story. And we saw that because he's born from a barren woman, she's previously barren before she has him, and there's this prophecy over him, that shadows both characters before him in scripture who are set up in the lineage of salvation, such as Joseph, and they also will foreshadow characters later in scripture, such as Jesus Christ, who comes kind of from that same narrative storytelling. And so the author of Judges is both playing on old, uh, old genres, old literary elements, and setting up future elements, which are to yet be fulfilled, not even you know, within a thousand years of him writing those, uh, those events down. And then, uh, so we're set up with this amazing kind of text of deliverance. And with all that introduction to Samson, uh, you might be tempted to say, well, if, if this is the prophecy of his birth, you know, th that he's going to begin to save Israel from the Philistines, then certainly whoever we're going to meet on the chapters of the next pages in his actual actions and events, that person is going to be someone who is worth looking up to. He's going to go everywhere. He's going to win. He's going to do all the right things. He's going to be your stereotypical hero character that we would expect, you know, in any kind of, you know, modern hero movie. You know, you're kind of playing out the events and you're you're telling them in almost like a supernatural, very like uh, well-played light. And instead what you get from scripture is this very realistic telling of people and events, which is one of the things that we see is scripture is not trying to sugarcoat anything. They're not trying to paint Samson in a light that he's not to be painted. Uh, in fact, they're painting him kind of exactly as he is. All of the uh, weaknesses, all of the shortcomings, and all of the uh, flaws and failures and everything in between. And yet, despite that, uh, we should not get distracted by his weaknesses from the main theme of at least the story of Samson, the story of Judges, and uh, in this uh, chapter we're reminded once again of that dominant theme, and you'll see it there in verse 4. So after the setup of, uh, of what's going to happen in verse 4, we see that Samson's father and mother did not know that these events, these things that are happening, were from the Lord. And then we get an explanatory statement, for he, and that he refers to the Lord, for the Lord was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. So much like other texts in Judges, where you have the, the judge or the hero doing something according to their own will or their own desire, you also have God doing things according to his will and his desire. And you see that in both cases, people are doing what they want. And in all things, God's will is working for the salvation of his people, either because people are working according to his will or because people are wor working against his declared will, but according to his secret will. And that kind of sets up for us uh, 
an interpretation of the rest of chapter 14 that tells us that everything messy that's about to go on, everything that seems contrary to God's will, is actually God seeking an opportunity against the Philistines in and through the messiness and the weakness and the brokenness of Samson. And there's plenty of that to go around. And the question we're asking as readers is, is that actually true? Is that possible? Could God actually work sovereignly without puppeteering Samson, without, uh, without controlling his will or grabbing him and making him do things that he doesn't want to do? Despite all of that, could God still get the outcome that he wants and Samson do everything that he wants to do the whole time? Can both of those things be true? And you see in this text, that's very much the case. For starters, you see before we're introduced to that, we get the statement in verse 3, at the very end of verse 3, where he sees the woman. He says to his father, essentially, don't tell me that she's a Philistine. Don't tell me that she's not from the people. She is right in my eyes. So Samson, according to his own judgment, says, I don't care that she's not an Israelite. I don't care that she's part of the people we're supposed to be separate from. I want her. And that's very much in contrast with who he's supposed to be, which is the deliverer of the people of Israel that he was set up to be in the previous chapter. So in spite of that, we're told right away after that in verse 4, that God is seeking an opportunity against the Philistines in spite of Samson's sinfulness. And then again, the author of Judges underscores that this is not Samson seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. The he here is, is truly God. And we can see that by the context of both that sentence and uh, really in that next paragraph you see in verse 7, when he, Samson, goes down to talk with the woman, we see again that she was right in Samson's eyes. So the author is setting up Samson as someone who's pursuing his own desires, the things right in front of him, and God is the one who's kind of working in secrecy in the background of the text, and how that's all going to come to fruition, you know, the text kind of plays that out. But we're not to understand that Samson's somehow setting up this amazing sting operation against the Philistines. He's just doing what he wants to do, as the text is telling us, and it's God who's working to orchestrate the events kind of behind the scenes. And so in that, uh, you have this secret purpose of God that's kind of present throughout the text. That's kind of that main idea. And then in verse 8, you see that uh, as the text then unfolds, it's told us that Samson has a desire, God has a plan, Samson has this kind of based uh, root level desire. And then the question is, okay, how does this play out in the text? How's God going to bring about his salvation in Samson's sinfulness? And in verse 8, it just reads that after some days, he, Samson, uh, returns to take her. And when he returns to take her, he turns aside to see the carcass of the lion. Now, this is the lion that he killed on his first trip down when he was going to essentially show his mom and dad who this woman was so that they could make wedding arrangements for him. And the first time he encounters this lion uh, in, in the previous paragraph, you notice that it's not Samson who delivers himself from the lion. You notice the author is explicit in telling us that it's the spirit of the Lord, verse 6, that rushes upon Samson, although he had nothing in his hand. And that is the very reason why Samson is saved from the lion. It's not that Samson is often, I think we talk about Samson uh, as he himself is strong and, you know, God is very lucky to have Samson on his side and God was lucky to almost control Samson in his will. But the text is clear that Samson's kind of a, a nobody character. He's got all these flaws and weaknesses. And when he's about to die on this trip to get a woman who he shouldn't even be getting, he's kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time, God in his providence sends his spirit to deliver Samson, to save him. He uses Samson to kill the lion with his bare hands, which we're supposed to understand is a supernatural salvation, not a natural, explainable kind of salvation. And then when Samson revisits this victory, this, this deliverance from God, instead of thanking God, being reminded of God's salvation, you notice... He's, he's kind of just only seeing the things right in front of him. He, has, he pays almost no attention to God at all in the text. 
He goes to the, to the carcass of the lion. He scrapes out honey that is formed to it. And because he wants to eat the honey, you know, the honey's sweet. He's going to take and eat the honey. And you notice the text tells us that uh, he does not tell his parents that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. And uh, there's a reason that the text emphasizes that, lest we forget that when the angel comes to tell Samson's parents about who Samson's supposed to be, they say he's supposed to be a Nazarene, which means he's not supposed to cut his hair, he's not supposed to take wine, and he's, not, he's also supposed to abstain from unclean things, such as touching dead bodies. And here, Samson is ignoring all kinds of his vows. Not only is he going with unclean women, but he's killing the carcass of a lion, and then he's going back to the unclean thing and eating out of it. So he's unclean kind of on all levels of the text. And so then uh, we see that Samson, uh, once again, is being underscored as not paying attention to God, not paying attention to God's salvation, and almost uh, accidentally uh, in the providence of God. It's not his own scheming that gets him there. And we know that because right here where he would, he would have had an opportunity to thank God for salvation, he nevertheless just, just eats of the honey, doesn't pay any attention to God, no, no psalm, no hymn, no thanks for deliverance like we see with Deborah and Barak earlier in Judges. None of that, just kind of take, eat, give to his parents, and kind of back on towards the woman that he's not even supposed to have in the first place because she's a Philistine. And then uh, that kind of puts us into the main uh, kind of event or the main uh, problem that's present in the text, uh, which we can see here is uh, kind of centering around this w riddle and this bet between the Philistines and, uh, and Samson. And so in verse 10, we're, we're told that uh, Samson's father goes down to the woman and Samson prepares a feast there for so the young men used to do. So this is some kind of cultural wedding celebration. Uh, and in this uh, culture's wedding celebration, what they would do is they would be essentially celebrating the marriage for seven days. And then on the seventh day is when they would consummate the marriage uh, and kind of like finally be wed together. But you'll notice that that doesn't mean that they're not married on day one and finally married on day seven, because even towards the end of the text, we're told that this is Samson's wife that's given away. So culturally, it's understood that they're married kind of at the time of these celebrations starting, but there's this kind of seven-day, if you will, party or festivity that happens. And it's during that festivity that Samson's essentially groomsmen come to him and, and make this bet against him. So Samson doesn't have any Israelites who are with him. Instead, he takes Philistines who are going to be his accompanying 30 men that surround him. And in this case, he has this, let's say, playful or it starts off playful bet that he makes with them. He says... Uh, essentially, let me put to you a riddle, and if you tell me what it is, essentially, he's going to get uh, 30 new pairs of underwear and 30 new suit jackets. And if they win, then he has to give them that thing. So he's, he's got a really good odds going. If he wins, he's going to get a huge payout. And if he loses, he's going to have a huge payout to give to the Philistines. And it's all fun and games, you know, and, and they start with this, uh, this kind of jesting, okay, put the riddle to us. And in verse 14, he puts the riddle to them. And he says, the, the riddle is this, out of the eater came something to eat, out of the strong came something sweet. And because we're told about uh, the events that just happened at the lion, because we were given insight into that happening, this riddle seems to us rather obvious. Uh, it seems, oh, th that's obviously talking about the lion. But remember, as the reader, we're being told special events or special insight that the rest of the Philistines don't have. So the Philistines are hearing this riddle they don't know about Samson on the road. They don't know about the lion. They don't know about the honey. So they're not supposed to be able to put that together. And Samson knows this, and he's kind of holding this secret over them. They couldn't possibly know this unless they were sitting off in the bush and watching him do it both on the return trip and the, the second trip back. 
And Samson's essentially boasting not only in, in his like exploitation over the lion, he's trying to boast and, and have this secret over them, but he's also going to now try to use that as leverage to get rich, essentially, um, with clothing. Um, and so it, it starts fun and games, and for the first three days, it's all, oh, they couldn't figure out the riddle, they're still enjoying the party, couldn't figure out the riddle. And then uh, by the time day four comes around, uh, it, they figure out, oh shoot, if we can't solve this riddle, we're gonna owe Samson a huge payout. And they're now upset because this is their party. You know, Samson's coming to their, get a woman from their town. They think they're kind of in control of the situation. And by day four, they realize they might be a little out of control of the riddle situation and they don't wanna have to fess up and pay. And so they start with different tactics. Instead of trying to figure out the riddle, instead of uh, maybe trying to uh, soothe their egos or, or do away with it, instead what they do is they try to, is they essentially blackmail Samson's wife. So they go to her and they say, you need to entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is. And if you don't do that, we're going to burn you and your father's house and all of his property. So they, it's now gone from like fun to we're going to kill you if we don't win this riddle. And so you can kind of see the nature of the people that Israel is now kind of in bed with. And Samson's decided, actually, a woman from these people would be rather pleasing to me. And so you kind of see their character coming out um, in this. And they essentially accuse her. Uh, of inviting them to this party to impoverish them when it's them who made the bet and them who made the riddle. So these are the Philistine men um, who say this. And then uh, you see Samson's wife ha is weeping over him and she says, you only hate me, you don't love me. You've put a riddle to my people and you have not told me what it is. So she's trying to now, she doesn't want her, her father to burn. She doesn't want her to, herself to burn by fire. So she's gonna try to figure out what's going on with the riddle. Can you please tell me Samson what's going on? And Samson essentially resists, resists, resists. And then on the seventh day of festivities, she presses him hard enough. She weeps before him. And the last day he tells her the secret to the riddle, right? The secret that only he could have known. Remember, his parents don't know, so they couldn't have told anyone. The text makes all of that clear. Only Samson knows the answer. Then he tells her, and then immediately the very next line is, and then she goes and tells the riddle to her people. That's in verse 17. And then, the, you know, with a buzzer beater on the seventh day before sunset, the Philistines come to him and they say, oh, here's the answer, Samson. We figured it out. Uh, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And you notice in that, Samson is not a fool. You know, he seems to behave foolishly, but he's not, he's not that foolish. And so he's put together that he knew, he told his wife, and the very next day after he tells his wife, now the Philistines come back with an answer for the riddle just in time. And then he says to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, which is, uh, it's a euphemistic phrase, but it's not a very, above, he's basically saying, you exploited my wife, and he's using kind of crass language for that. You would not have found out my riddle. So he essentially says, I know how you figured it out, but nevertheless, he's going to pay out the riddle. And to pay out the riddle, he decides that because they blackmailed him and his wife into getting an answer, he's essentially going to not play above the belt either when it comes to paying out the, the dividends for this bet. And so he goes in verse 19, the spirit of the Lord rushing upon him. He goes down to Eshkadalon. He strikes down 30 men of the town. He takes their spoil and he gives the garments to those who had told the, whom he had told the riddle. And you'll notice that in verse uh, 19 at the end, there's this next sentence. It's in hot anger that he goes back to his father's house. And in that you see two different wills again in the text. You have Samson who wills simply revenge against the Philistines. He simply wants to essentially kill the men of Eshkadalon, win the wager, and kind of get back at the Philistine people. And that's a very basic level will. <laughs> there you go. Um, 
so you have Samson who has this kind of like basic level drive or desire, and then you have God who has this kind of higher level desire going on, which is the spirit of the Lord rushes upon him and he kills 30 Philistines. And on the flip side of that, we're told explicitly though in the text that it wasn't because Samson wanted to strike against the Philistines. Samson simply in a, in a fit of hot anger over the fact that he just lost this bet. So in both the beginning of the text and by the end of the text, we're told we can't attribute any of this good to Samson. And we have to really see that God is somehow working in the background of this text to make his secret will come about, which is the deliverance of his people. And he's starting with this kind of small victory over 30 Philistines by Samson. And so he's used the strength of Samson by his spirits to bring a victory. And the text makes that clear both on kind of the front end that God planned this and on the back end that God then completed this rather small win. You know, this is not a major military victory. This is not going to take the Philistines and toss them over and now Israel's in charge. This is kind of one step in a longer process of deliverance, which becomes clear, you know, later in the story of Samson as well. And then we're told kind of this closing detail, which becomes very important for kind of the development of chapter 15's plot, which is that Samson's wife, which is really considered his wife, is given to his companion, which is Samson's best man. Now, this best man is not one of Samson's friends. This is probably one of those 30 Philistines who made the bet and now won the riddle and now has the spoil. So we're not to, be, we're not to understand that this is somehow a friendly betrayal of Samson. Samson was in bed with people who were against him. They were Philistines against the Israelites and they treat him the whole time like he's, he's not worth anything. And this is probably how they thought about most of the Israelites as well. So even though they know that it's Samson's wife, that's according to the Israelite culture and their culture, right? This is a cultural thing that's going on. Even though they know it's Samson's wife, they still say, you know what? Samson's out, he killed all those people. So we're gonna go ahead and give his wife to this person, uh, essentially the next person up. And then that's going to kind of set the drama for chapter 15 of Samson's story, which is another cycle of Samson kind of pursuing his own desires and God nevertheless doing his, his will the whole time throughout Samson's kind of messiness and sinfulness. And so I think I'll uh, just close there um, and then we can go ahead and dart on discussion. So, uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, for this text that we have before us. Um, all of the uh, beauty and the mystery and kind of the chaos that's present in the book of Judges. Um, would you just give us uh, sensitive hearts and sensitive uh, minds that we would be uh, able to pay close attention to what's going on, uh, that we would not keep that at arm's length, but we would apply that uh, close to our own hearts. Um, and we would be obedient to your word, that we would learn to love it, uh, and we would allow uh, it to show us your glory, um, and that you would be pleased to reveal yourself to us so that we might praise you more. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen.